If you've been listening to my show, you know that the importer on the back of the bottle is one of the surest ways to guarantee a quality bottle of wine. That's why I'm so excited to tell you about Taub Family Selections. Taub Family Selections is a dynamic, fourth-generation, family-owned wine import company with a truly incredible portfolio of fine wines from 11 countries. These wines not only embody the unique terroir in which they are produced, but the passion and integrity of each family member involved from vineyard to table. Notable estates include Mastro Berardino, Bertani, Travlini, Ferrari, Coldorcia, Trimbach, Jean-Luc Colombo, Jean-Michel Jarin, among many other renowned producers. They also have from Bordeaux, Lafitte Rothschild from the left bank, and on the right bank, they have Chateau Lafleur. I'm telling you, these guys have it all. To find out even more, go to TaubFamilySelections.com. That's T-A-U-B, FamilySelections.com. What's up, everybody? It's MJ. Welcome to season four of the Black Wine Guy Experience. My team and I are excited to continue to bring you the enlightening conversations and brilliant wine suggestions you've come to know and love. And trust me, this season's guest list is epic. And for the first time on the show, I've partnered with some incredible winemakers to bring you, my listeners, a unique opportunity to purchase some bottles that you may not have been aware of or couldn't find, but you will be able to get them soon. All right, everybody, in the words of the BC Boys, kick it! Hey, I'm MJ Taller, also known as a black wine guy. I went from being a totally obsessed wine newbie to becoming the world's first ever African-American fine and rare wine auctioneer in less than three years. In this show, I'll be talking to the Mavericks, the philosophers, the players, and the deep thinkers who inhabit the world of wine. They'll share their experiences on how they made it, but more importantly, how they failed and got back up again. So grab a glass and let's get to it. This is the Black Wine Guy Experience. Hey everybody, what's up? It's your boy MJ and welcome to the Black Wine Guy Experience. My guests today are American journalists, authors, and wine critics, a wife and husband duo who jointly wrote the wine column tastings and created the beloved Open That Bottle Night, Dottie Gator and John Brecker. Bore, both born in, see, this is both born in Florida. You weren't born in Florida. Where are you, died? No, I was born in Red Bank, New okay. Jersey. Yeah. All right. Well, I live in Red Bank, New Jersey. Get out of here. Get out of town. So, <laughs> so Dottie was born in Red Bank, New Jersey, Monmouth County, home of also Count Basie and the Count Basie Theater. That's all I knew about it. <laughs> uh, but John was born in Florida and met on their first day at the Miami Herald on June 4th, 1973 at 9 a.m. Wow, that's very specific. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I was wearing a miniskirt. Well, well, now I understand why it was love at first sight. <laughs> <laughs> and in 1998, an editor at the Wall Street Journal, where both uh, Gator and Brecker worked, asked them to write a wine column, along with other news articles, and thus Tastings was born. Within two years, Gator and Brecker were allowed to solely focus on their wine column. In 2000, Dottie and John created Open That Bottle Night, an annual international celebration of wine and friendship, where participants are encouraged to dig out a special, unopened bottle of wine and share it with their family and friends. Uh, Dottie has worked at the Herald, the New York Times, and the Wall Street Journal. John has worked at the Herald, Newsweek, the Wall Street Journal, and Bloomberg News. There are also authors on books on wine, including Love by the Glass, Tasting Notes from a Marriage, 2003, Wine for Every Day and Every Occasion, 2004, and several editions of the Wall Street Journal Guide to Wine. 
Their papers were recently added to the Warren Winarski Wine Writers Collection at the University of California at Davis. Uh, for you guys who might be new to wine, that is the big perennial wine school in California. And they've appeared regularly on TV from Martha Stewart to the Today Show. And they are now both senior editors at Grape Collective and co-author of the bi-weekly column, Love by the Glass. Welcome, Dottie and John. Is there anything else you'd like to add? Gee, no, that's pretty comprehensive. Yeah, I have a good research team. And, <laughs> and you know, also, when, when you, when you uh, even when, like, people interview me, like, you're like, man, did I do all that? Like, it really, when someone reads it, you're like, because you're living it, you just, you're just in it, you know? Yeah. But this is quite impressive. Newsweek, Bloomberg News. I'm like... How do I keep getting these amazing guests to come on my show? You're you're a pretty impressive interviewer. That's how you do it. Well, thank you, yeah. thank you. So um, mercy. <laughs> yeah. um, tell us about the wine we're drinking this evening. Well, this is um, wait. This is Camens to wine, and uh, it's it's made by Tara Gomez. Uh, who's a Native American winemaker uh, and the founding and, I guess, only uh, winemaker that Kita Wines uh, will ever have. Uh, and, and her wife, Maria Tariba, together they made this. And uh, they have this tiny winery in, uh, in Lompoc. And uh, they make three different types of cool climate Syrah and also... Gruner Veltliner, a still one, and a sparkler from Santa Rita Hills. And then uh, three or four other varietals from other parts of the county. Yeah. I, um, Victoria James brought the Gruner when she came. Yeah. She wasn't drinking because she was expecting yes. with Simone. Um, but uh, so uh, this is my second wine. Um, very good wines. Um, uh, Keto Wines, if you want to just mention, I know they just announced that they're we uh, broke the news. Yeah. yeah, closing after after all those years. Yeah. and uh, the only reason that the tribe gave us uh, w was that they they looked at their portfolio and decided um, not to be in the wine business at this time. Right. So maybe you know, I'm. There are a lot of people hoping that that at this time is a is an important qualifier that mm. maybe not forever. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Camus to Dreams is our current column in Grape Collective. Uh, it's, it's a wonderful love story. And so just in time for Valentine's Day, there's so much love and there's so many couples in wine. And it seemed like a good time to focus on one of those couples. Well, that's the show is actually going to drop on Valentine's Day. Really? Yeah. Perfect. Wow. It's just working out that way. So um, this is perfect. <laughs> so so we, we have an extra varied, uh, super duper special episode for you guys today and and dottie's got on her red she's ready for always and her signature always. red glass or signature red flames so <laughs> so let's start at the uh beginning um dottie i know you said you were born in red bank um how old were you when you moved to florida i was about six months old and oh wow yeah um my family had moved my my parents were both from new jersey my dad's folks were from harbor island the bahamas but oh, he, wow. but he he grew up in Seaside Heights, and um, a, a school in Tom's River that he and his nine siblings all graduated from, a few years ago named the street in front of the school Gator Way, 
because the, my Bahamian grandparents could have settled anywhere. They, they were British subjects, but they, they came to Tom's River. And uh, yeah. I'm blown away. And, my, I was, <laughs> and, and all 10 of them graduated from that high school. Many had, had graduate degrees. Most of them became teachers. Yeah. So where was I? I digress, as you said. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I was going to say, you should drive by and check I, out I, Gator Way. I'm going to check yeah. it out because I grew up in, I'm from New Jersey. I grew up in Monmouth County, uh, Tom's River, Ocean County. Um, but like, you know, there's not a whole lot of people of color in Monmouth and Ocean counties. And the fact that they moved there then yeah. is like, like they must have been one of the first black families there. Yeah. Well, my, my uncle Cleveland was the first black student to play sports there. And I, I didn't know that about him. And when I was a reporter at the New York Times, they sent me to do a story about something else. And the people I met said, Gator. Gator, are you related to? And I said, well, there are not that many Gators. But my dad had had been um, teaching at Florida A&M University in Tallahassee, and he wanted to get a master's degree. And no school in Florida would admit black people to its graduate programs. Wow. So he moved the family back to New Jersey, and that's why I was born in Red Bank. Oh, okay. Got so it. So when, when he got his degree at NYU, he moved the family back to Florida. Well, I mean... There's not really anything on par with NYU down in Florida anyway, so it might have worked out for that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, University of Miami, but it's not, it's not NYU. No, no. Although we do have a certain thing about our universities in the Northeast, but anyway. Um, so you were in Tallahassee. Mm-hmm. And where were you uh, born, John? I, I was born in New York City. Okay. But grew up in Jacksonville, Florida. Uh, not a not a garden spot of the world. Uh, uh, my father moved down there to uh, uh, to be an accountant for a large company, and when they wanted to move him back, he said, no, I love the sun. Yeah. I'm staying. <laughs> um, so, uh, he, so he stayed, and we stayed. Uh, we were, even back then in Jacksonville, there were not a lot of Jewish families yeah. in Jacksonville. Yeah. I mean, we, we had... We had the experience once of uh, a, a very nice family who invited us over and said, look, I, I know you're Jewish and therefore you can't eat ham, so I've made lobster, uh, which, <laughs> which, you know, which well, was great with me. <laughs> I never liked ham. And to this day doesn't like ham. <laughs> so, uh, but it, it, was, it was kind of that kind of place. Yeah. And uh, uh, it was... Uh, but nevertheless, it it was, you know, that was where I grew up, and uh, then was lucky enough to get into Columbia to come up to college, mm-hmm. and then uh, I left Columbia. And the day I graduated on a Friday and Monday, I started the Miami Herald, and as it happened, so did Dottie. Oh my God! So where did you uh, do your undergraduate studies? The University of Missouri at Columbia, Missouri. Wow. Yeah, and. I was there for three days before I saw another black student, and and he was from Ghana and wouldn't, you know, deign no, to, no, no, to recognize exactly, me. Exactly. <laughs> You're just an American. Exactly, Negro, is that right? You know? <laughs> people, a lot of people don't realize like there's this distinction of like, oh yeah, like like yeah. you know, I tell people all the time like I'm not African American because I I obviously I did my DNA, I have blood from Africa, but like. A, a, a continental African will shun your black ass. Well, that's what happened. <laughs> I was so happy to see him. He was like, 
Do I know you? <laughs> yeah. Very few black students there yeah. then. Yeah. Um, and so then that was your first job too, right out of school, German, was Miami Herald? Yeah. So yeah. so I have to ask, was this like a progressive paper time where just, they would just hire them? I mean, that's like, it's just interesting that like. Wow. Well. Uh, what was it like there? They, well, Miami has always been a great great news town yeah uh it was a wonderful wonderful place to be a, a young journalist wonderful place to be a young journalist because there was such amazing stuff happening and and miami has always been a very welcoming place you know very uh diverse right because uh, it's basically in the caribbean caribbean <coughs> right yeah mm -hmm. uh, it, you know there's a lot of tension there there's always been a lot of tension but at the same time there have always been all sorts of kind of different people and the Herald at that time was trying very hard to reflect its community. Yeah, that's 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 uh, that's great. You know, um, I, I think like as I look at Florida and you look at places like New Orleans, I saw a documentary about it, and someone said like um, New Orleans is the northernmost point of the Caribbean, and so Miami's b huh. further below that. And there's just this melting pot of cultures, um, and uh, and this was even before. Uh, 1980, you know, like, mm -hmm. um, so it was just always uh, diverse. Right. Um, so was there an orientation? Did you meet at the water cooler? Did you meet at the copier? Like what was that? Well, my parents taught me to be not even on time, but early. Right. So, uh, though our day was supposed to start at nine, I, I was already there and, um, I'd been seated at my desk and, um, fro miniskirt. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, John was the, the second reporter to arrive, the second of three to start that day. And uh, the managing editor, Steve Rogers, what was his title? He, he was like the metro editor. Metro editor brings over this handsome guy <laughs> and says, John Bretcher, this is Dorothy Gator. And um, that he, he's from Columbia's storied student newspaper, Columbia Daily Spectator. You know, and and that's just the student papers of student papers, college papers. Right. You know, so I stood up and said, salami, salami, <laughs> bologna. And then we looked at each other. And it was just, you know, it was one of those lightning strike moments. It, it really, yeah, I'd seen a lot of TV and movies, mm -hmm. but I didn't think that that stuff really happened. But it did. Yeah. You should have seen her then. She was so cute. <laughs> I, I can reach you. <laughs> I, know, I was like, she's pretty cute now, man. <laughs> Where's that corkscrew? <laughs> it's safe. You're safe. Uh, <laughs> he's safe for, right now. for now. now. You've got to go home with her, man. That's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. um, no, I think that's, uh, you know, I... I, my wife, I mean, we didn't get married till we met in college, but like she came out of an elevator in a dorm and I looked, I was like, who is that girl? They are, I, I do understand those moments. Like we didn't get it together like you guys did, but, but it does, it is like, it's a, it's in a moment, you know, yeah. you just have a moment with someone, you know? Yeah. Um, so, um, what type of work were you, what type of assignments did they have you on down there? I was general assignment, which meant that whatever happened, I was on it. So. Um, I, I covered cops. Um, I eventually covered schools. I covered a, a shishi uh, suburb called Coral Gables. Yeah, I heard of that. Yeah, <laughs> and we, we eventually bought a, bought a home there. But uh, once they assigned me to go f to different houses just at random uh, and, and interview 
the, the residents about their taxes. And um, yeah, and, yeah we, eventually I got to the police department and they said, oh, it was you. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir, like, yeah, you were ahead of me. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and and yeah. I was South Dade bureau chief, okay. uh, which meant I was a one-person bureau <laughs> in Homestead, Florida. Uh, anyone who's familiar with Miami now will be surprised to hear that back then anything south of Kendall, 88th Street, was considered agriculture. Wow. There was, there was nothing down there. Wow. Down then. So I covered this vast, vast area that was essentially all farmlands, which was incredibly cool to me because I'd be driving around saying, oh, my God, beans grow out of the ground. Right, <laughs> right, right. Incredible. Right. Oh, I mean, to me, it was all like amazing. I couldn't believe what I was seeing down there. You know, and my only regret is that I, I, I didn't buy any land yeah. while I was down there. Um, because I wouldn't regret? be here. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, yeah. I'm like, I'm like, you know, you know, what you, you could have got like a brownstone in Harlem for like twenty thousand in like 1995. <laughs> yeah, condos on Miami Beach. Yeah. in the 80s, yeah. people said if if you're interested, go now. Right. You know, you can pick up something. Right. Yeah. Our, our first date was a, a Bob Dylan concert. Oh, wow. Yeah, John was uh, standing at, at the city desk when he was handed two tickets. And being the gentleman that he is, there was a, a woman standing next to him, and he thought he should invite her. And Gail Pollard said, hell no. I don't like that honky music. <laughs> Ask Dottie Gator. <laughs> so, <laughs> so he had permission then to, yeah. Yeah. We'd, we'd kind of been, uh, we'd sit, we'd been going out a lot, like for lunch before then. This was yeah. kind of our first official date. Right. Compliments of the Miami Herald. Which I was gave like, us the wow. Tickets. And then it's Bob Dylan. I mean, damn, that's a damn good first date. Yeah, it was during the the oil shortage. Oh, I remember that. I was remember like, that? Yeah, like we used to have odd even days. To you know, put on the last digital license plate, and you, you know, we were rationing gas. Mm-hmm. That was seventy three, seventy four. I remember going yeah. to right. restaurant with my dad. Yeah. Yep. It took, right. us, it took us forever to get there because we we stopped and gassed up. I think. I, I did. I did a story during that time of a gas station that was gouging people by charging a dollar a gallon. Yeah, can you imagine? Was, I, I know. I know. A dollar. <laughs> a dollar. Because it was like like even in eighty six when we got you like literally, gas was still like forty six cents. Wow. Really. Yeah, or, or it was a fifty cent. We get a dollar. We get a gallon of gas. But that was like in '86. That was like my friend's first car. You're like, let's get a dollar. Let's go. Let's go somewhere. So I mean, a dollar and and because it must. What was it? It was like people were tripping because it went from five cents to fifteen. Right. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, and now it's, you know, California gas is probably like six dollars a gallon now because it's like four in Jersey. Wow. Yeah. Well, well, and yet they keep making money. Yes. <laughs> Record profits. <laughs> On the way home from that date, John said, maybe I can show you the U-Pick fields. You know, not not knowing that I love that sh- Jersey corn. Jersey, right? People sleep on Jersey, for, you guys don't know. So Florida would be the uh, sunshine shade and California is the... Um, Golden State, and is Missouri the show-me state? It is. All right. Yeah. New Jersey is the Garden State. New Jersey has more cranberry bogs than Massachusetts. I didn't know We that. have cranberries, blueberries. We're very known for the corn and the tomatoes. Well, my mother would, would say, if you 
think you've tasted corn. You haven't until you've had Jersey corn. Yeah. And his dad was a tomato freak. He, we, we would take him you picking, and he would just he would eat a tomato like it was an apple. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, when you when you're out there in the field, that it is. There's so like it's just it's literally in like a tomato will be like a peach. The juice is running down your arm, you know. Yeah. Um, so I love it. So Bob Dylan, and then let's go pick fruit together. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't really like fruit, so it was out of love. It, but and and I didn't know at the time that that she's just crazy about fruit, especially strawberries. And there, you know, there are you pick strawberry fields to this day yeah. in Florida and in, in Miami, where you can go and you pick strawberries right off the vine. And you know, the truth is, I, I don't even like strawberries, but <laughs> but I love being in the field. Yeah. They're so beautiful. They're so fragrant. They're so fresh. And uh, we go into a field, and the great thing is we pay for about one pound, and Dottie eats six more pounds there while go. we're there. <laughs> so we, 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 we took this fresh produce back to his apartment, and there was a, one bottle of wine, Andre Cold Duck. Oh, that his folks, Cold Duck. His folks had, had given him as a, as a housewarming present, and that was the first wine we shared. The classics. Hey, the classics. Everyone start somewhere. No, I'm laughing because we, we people, I tell people all the time, don't poo-poo white Zinfandel. It saved the California wine industry. Okay. Um, and and then you have Franzia or, you know, usually we are going to start with something sweeter because obviously your family, your families weren't, you weren't wine on the table when you were uh, there. And I have a good friend who's, who's Jewish and she tells the story. It's so funny. Like, like. They'd had one bottle of Manischewitz like her whole life for Passover, <laughs> and like they and they and then their father would just put it in a liquor cabinet, and then he would put, add water. It'd be all gummed up, and he'd put water in it for Passover, <laughs> and it would it, it would last forever. forever. Yeah. And, you know? and for Thanksgiving, my father would buy a bottle of Corbel champagne. I know. I mean, Corbel is like so many of us also grew up with Corbel, um, but. You know, if but that was a celebration to us. My father was so, who never opened a bottle of wine, except for Manischewitz, was so excited opening the bottle of Corbel. It was it it kind of beginning of the holidays when yeah. he opened that bottle of Corbel. Yeah. So you got Corbel. What was it? You had a Mano Manischewitz. Wait, who did that? Stevie did I not Stevie? Oh. Oh, Sammy Davis yeah. Jr. Mano Manischewitz. Oh, Remember the commercial? Right. Oh <laughs> man. <laughs> Forgotten that too. Oh wow. man, we're showing our age, aren't we? I'm showing my age. I've seen. I remember that commercial. Yeah. Um, and then the other big one, like you know, this whole rose all day, you know, and all the stuff, all the hashtags. But like rose has been around forever, particularly you know uh, where, particularly where it's known from, like Bandol in the south of France. But Matus rose. Mm -hmm. Matus keeps you loose. Yeah, and, and Matus, I never heard that one. <laughs> Remember that? Yeah. I remember reading Rio Nidi on Ice. Now that's now nice. That's oh, nice. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So those wow. brands, like 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 a lot of people um poo-poo stuff, but like like th that's what we had in America as wine consumers. You know what I mean? Um so that's funny. So and and Cold Duck was that and that was like almost like it was it was red, right? It was it, yeah, it was red. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I remember, yeah, yeah, I remember because I've had yeah. it before. I just haven't had it like you know, I think I had it with some Cisco or something when I was like 18. Wow. You know, we were, we were going in. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, um, but like you look at Rionita, um, 
that cold duck. I'm like, okay, uh, a very sweet sparkling Shiraz, if you will. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, a, a super sweet Lambrusco. Um, and they become like gateways to other wines. So you enjoy this bottle of cold duck on this date. And then uh, what what's going on with you two? Like how long did you date? When did you get married officially? Oh, gosh. Well, we didn't. We didn't get married until 1979, so okay. it was six years. Okay. We were 21 um, when we met. You know, 21. That's really young to get married. You know, I know a lot of people do it. I agree. And it works. I didn't get married until I was 48, okay? okay. So uh, I'm, I'm not arguing with you. No, no, no. I know, I know. <laughs> but, 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 you know, 21. Yeah. When we looked at our daughters when they were 21, we thought, what the hell were we thinking? Oh, my heavens, they're children. Yeah. Uh, but we were 21, and we seemed ourselves that we were all grown up yeah so we, we lived in sin for five years okay okay yep yep, yep. how was how was your family's about that my mother argued for two days my, my dad had passed by then okay um but you know she just thought that that was just terrible terrible um but after she got it out of her system my, my folks never hit us they they talked us to death <laughs> <laughs> See, see, that's that's that West. Well, someone seems to get hit, but like my mom was from Georgia, she hit first off later. <laughs> no, I I would beg, you know, just hit yeah. me, get over it. But, but there is something about you know, I don't want to be punished. Oh, no, give me no, the no, lashes. No, but I mean, Dorothy Jean, I'm so disappointed in you. you Dorothy know, Jean. Dorothy Jean. Oh, uh, when they yeah. use the middle name. Oh, it's, you know, it's serious. Yeah. 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 But she fell in love with him. You know, he, and my, my parents felt the same way. It's like they just loved Dottie. They didn't care if they were married or not. They just loved Dottie. She was the daughter my father never had and always mm-hmm. wanted. So they were great. Yeah, he was three boys, three girls. So we, you know. Oh, that's yeah, it's perfect. Yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, it really was. That's awesome. So, um, he, he proposed over Cristal. Oh, see, there a, you go. A bottle that I'd given him. <laughs> Did um, you regift? Oh. <laughs> And Dottie said, where's the cold duck? <laughs> but he couldn't get the cork out. And um, he was looking very, very pale. Now, John is one of the whitest white people you'll ever, <laughs> you'll, you'll ever see. And he was pale. And I was sure he was dying, you know? Because he, he can pop a cork in his sleep. Right. But he could not open this bottle of champagne. And uh, we just left his parents' home. We were doing the two-step with... Christmas, you know, going to Tallahassee to see my mother and then going to Jacksonville to see him. So, um, and his dad never called as a follow-up, but for some reason he called hours after we got home when John was about to propose. And he, John disappeared and uh, came back with pliers. And I thought, what is he doing with that? My father had said, I told my father what was going on. He said, I can't get the cork out. My father said, use pliers. And basically I said to him, Dad, you open one bottle of champagne a year, it's, it's Corbell. Like, and you, believe me, trust me, I, you don't use a pair of pliers on, on, on a bottle of Cristal. He said, just take out the pliers and open the bottle. So I thought, okay, fine. You know, I'll, I'll go get the pliers. So I went and got the pliers. And, and if, if that hadn't worked, we still wouldn't be married. <laughs> I never would have proposed. And his mother gave him special glasses to propose with. These were these um, hollow stem coupe 
just lovely glasses that had been given to her by her sister as a wedding present. Oh, wow. And we still have those. That yeah. is, um, I love that. Like, that's a love story. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Um, I love wins. Yes. <laughs> um, so, what, um, how long were you at the Herald? See, the first time we were there from 73 to 80. Okay. Uh, we always, always, always want to live in New York City. And so um, we were lucky enough to get jobs, me at Newsweek, Dottie at the New York Times. And, and, you know, we were just over the moon that we were actually able to move to New York City. We were having a wonderful time in New York. I mean, in Miami, it was a wonderful, wonderful place to be a journalist. But we always wanted to live in New York City. So uh, we grabbed at the chance and, um, and moved up here. We, we actually were looking for an apartment with two bedrooms, and our, our realtor said, well, why two bedrooms? And John said, one for the wine, and she laughed. <laughs> she said, people can't afford a room just for their wine. But that's, you know, that's the way we were thinking. Well, I mean, I guess back then, I mean, back then, I mean, who collected wine, if you really think about it, right? I guess you're right. It's not, it's not I mean, just people who were really, uh, you know, now, you know, people... It's just different, so I could see that. But also, I mean, like you could afford it. I mean, I mean, what was what was like a two bedroom back then? I mean, the eighties. Yeah. Well. We couldn't afford it. No, we, we couldn't afford it. We ended up with a with a one bedroom on Twentieth and Park Avenue South, which now is cool. At the time, right. was totally desolate. We found an apartment. The only reason we got it was because it was the only thing we could afford for four hundred and fifty dollars, and it had no windows. Um, yeah. So we brought Welcome all of these. Welcome to New York. You're from sunny exactly. Miami. All, You're picking your own vegetables. All of my plants died in like a week. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. The, we had floor-to-ceiling windows that, that looked onto a brick wall. Yeah. But but it had, the apartment had a, a, a deck. Okay. And that's where we, no, the wine was no, in the bedroom. The wine us. was in the bedroom. Right. And John's mother came to visit, and she said, I can't believe the bedroom is so cold. And John said, but the wine is comfortable. Right. <laughs> and she said, you idiot, your wife is cold. <laughs> so, yeah, we had, to, we had to negotiate the temperature. So you, um, <clears throat> you guys got that big into wine after the, you got engaged, or, or, or I just, when did that, I mean, because, oh. like, the fact that you wanted to have a wine room like that progressed quickly. It, it did. Uh, we were, we were, when we first met in '73 and we had our cold duck. Um, it wasn't that much longer after that that Dottie was coming down to see me. I was living in South Dade because I was the South Dade bureau chief, and <laughs> she was coming down to visit. And you know, I was trying to impress her, so I didn't know anything about wine. I don't think I'd ever been into a wine store, but I went into a Crown Liquor. It's still a big chain in Miami. And, um, you know, I didn't know what to get. And on the counter, they had some sort of a nondescript French white and red. They were like $3.99 a bottle. I said, oh, I'll have a bottle of white and a bottle of red. And the guy said, if you buy a whole case, I'll give it to you for $2.99 a bottle. And I said, bingo. (laughs) This is really going to impress her, a whole case of wine. And we tasted that, and it just took us someplace. It just yeah. touched us. I have no idea what it was, you know, and we'll never know what it was. But whatever yeah. it was, it made us realize that wine can take you someplace. Mm-hmm. And it, it really changed us. And after that, you know, all 
hell broke loose. And what happened at that point, because obviously we're both journalists, we weren't making a lot of money, but um, we decided that we could afford one case, one mixed case at a time, okay. and we set a budget, which was seventy-two dollars, so that which was I, a lot of money. That actually is six dollars a bottle back then. That's a good price, well, right? Yeah. And so what we could do is we could have one bottle that was nine and one was three, mm -hmm. and it, and it would even out. Yep. Um, then we bought Hugh Johnson's World Atlas, Atlas and. Uh, uh, Leon Adams, Wines of America. So we'd get we'd get the bottles and we'd go home with these twelve six dollar bottles, and we'd look them up and we'd say, "Oh my God, this is right next to Lafitte. This is in South America. This is in wherever." Yeah. And it it opened our eyes. Yeah, I think that's the thing. <clears throat> I always tell people: uh, get to know importers, get to know winemakers get to know uh, vineyards, right, and regions, right? So like you said, like you could buy a bottle of Burgundy that abuts DRC, you know? Like, you know, I mean, it's stuff like that. Or like Lafitte's neighbor, right? Or, or, or you know, um, <clears throat> I remember when like Egliori first came to the market, like it's right across the street from Dom Perignon. It was like, you know, 39 bucks a bottle. Now it's not anymore. Um, but like once you uh, begin to understand those things, um, you, you find the bargains, right? You find the values in wine. And there's so many values out there. Wouldn't you agree? Oh, today especially. My goodness. And that, that we, we found like people at work. And we, we joined Les Amis de Vin, which was nationwide then. But uh, find, finding your, your people to drink wine with, you know, because we could only afford so many. Yeah. But together, right. what, what the group could bring to the table. But, but the books, the books were wonderful. And exploring your own taste. I right. remember our first car wad might have been one of those $20 bottles. Oh, it was we, actually it was was it it was but also our first Lafitte was um, I mean it, you're too young to remember this but the '68 Lafitte was considered a complete I mean '68 in general was considered a complete throwaway yeah and, no because I'm um, born in '68 and I was like oh, shit I don't get good birthday bottles no no '51 same thing horrible <laughs> yeah. vintage although Kevin Israeli hooked me up because there were a few and one of them you see have '68 Vegas Cecilia is oh. is just because. Vega. Vega, but he didn't bring that. But he brought sixty-eight Heights Martha's, and it was oh, oh, oh. it was amazing. Oh, oh, oh. Signature yeah. menthol, fresh. We had it oh. on our honeymoon. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and and so you know it it was we we went into a, a wine shop, and they had sixty-eight Lafitte. This was I, I don't know probably seventy-four. And it was eight dollars a bottle, and we couldn't <laughs> believe that we could have a first growth right. for eight dollars a bottle. And yeah, everybody had said it was terrible, and it was a terrible vintage, and nobody has anything good to say about it. But we never tasted a first growth, and we never held one in our hands. We never looked at the label, and it was really transformative. I, I love like just the passion you have for wine is coming through, and you talk about just looking like what it felt like to look at the label, right, and to feel in your hand, and that's one of the things that I find fascinating. I mean, I came into the wine business late 90s. I came in and I worked at Acker, so it was auctions and cult wines and 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 um but I would talk to John's father, Michael, like like DRC was like 20 bucks a bottle like in the 70s. Like, it was like this shit was you couldn't give like nobody wanted this stuff. Yeah. They wanted the cold duck. Like literally like 
you know, and that's another thing too. You said um, one of the greatest bargains is often what are called off vintages at first of Bordeaux, places like Bordeaux, because especially back then, those wines were obviously they still age, but back then they were they they were just you would you had to lay them down. So those older vintages, they they the, the off vintages would would develop in the bottle, and and different flavors would come out. We we didn't collect intentionally. We just bought fatches that that, that, that we could drink. Yeah, you know that. <laughs> right, I, I'm they're, pretty they're, much the same way. I'm yeah. not I'm not trying to leave it to anybody. I just like I'm like if I see it, I'm gonna buy it, and then I'm like, oh shit, look at all this wine. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, that's uh, how it happens. That's how it happens. Um, and I also like what you said about tasting groups. I think people should find tasting groups, you know? I mean, it's a little trickier because we're in this time we're in. I mean, you can do it virtually, but there's something, like, about being in a room and people bringing bottles and <clears throat> sharing. And uh, and also, like, w- like we could have did this virtually. Like, I'm glad. We- I've never done I've done, like, a few virtual, but they've- it's-, it's impossible. But we could have this same bottle from the same finish, but... You, when you're sharing from the same bottle, then you're actually getting uh, a more complete, like your impressions, your impressions, my impressions. Um, we know it's from the same bottle versus like there's bottle variation. So, right. you know, there's there's so much value if people can get their little tasting root bubble. And, and like you said, and then collectively, like I have friends like expensive wines. Okay. The three of us will go in and they'll go, oh, okay. I don't have $600, but I can scrape together $200 for a $600 bottle, you know, like, so the more people you get in, the, you get to try some of these, you know, right. more storied wines. But but one asshole in the group can ruin it. <laughs> Words to live by. Words to live by. Really, you you have to choose carefully. Oh, no, I agree. I mean, really? it's just like one bad apple, like one you don't and want. It, and it's got to be a man. Yeah, yeah probably. Yeah, no, probably. Yeah, I mean, nah, I'm, nah. I'm trying to be. <laughs> nah, nah. You're trying to be correct? No, nah, I'm not nah. trying to be correct. I was, I was, I, I, I was it's like, a yeah, guy. it's a guy. It's a guy. It is a guy. It's a guy. It's a guy. We. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, was like, I was like, it's a guy. Works on Wall Street. <laughs> I, like, it, it, I, I, I don't know if you've ever heard our, our story, our our asshole story. No, but, please. This is but, what we're here for. We're here for asshole stories. Uh, but when we were writing the Wall Street Journal column for 11 years, one, uh, one of the things, 12 years, one of the things that we discovered uh, was that from time to time, we would get asshole letters. And they would basically be people who wanted to tell us we made a mistake about something. Yeah. Obviously, we were always interested in hearing about whether or not we made a mistake. Nothing more important to us than accuracy. Yeah. But more often than not, they just didn't really know what they were talking about and were just trying to show off for their yeah. friends, for their family. And the amazing thing about it was that every one of these, every one of these was from a man. Every one of them. This was back in, you know, this was when things used to come like on email and before that actually in letters. And they were, everyone was a man. Everyone except one, one email came once that was an asshole letter and it was from a woman. And he was so excited. He he <laughs> ran into my office and said, it's from a woman. It's the exception that proves the rule, right? Yeah, I forgot what it was. Um, uh, Meritage. Meritage. Yeah, we, we said Meritage uh, rhymes with, with heritage. 
And, and it's meritage. And that's exactly what this woman was alleging. Yeah. And we said, no, we're sorry. And and here's here's the link from from the marriage <laughs> association explaining that it, it rhymes with heritage. So we we always responded kindly. We were taught that at the Miami Herald, you never hang up. You know, you're always polite. So we get this email back that from a woman who says, you know, I left my computer for a minute and my husband sat down and sent you that. <laughs> so, so still, still 100% guys. Yep, yep, yep. That that has not changed. That, that yep. Yeah, I am. Um, Why is that? What, what's well, wrong with you all? <laughs> we're guys. I'm that first, explains I'm, it. I'm, first, I'm like, that, that explains um, it. There are reasons. <laughs> <laughs> We do with DNA and chemicals running through your brain and your body, and we just do stupid shit. Guys do stupid <laughs> shit. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> um, but I, so I always tell people, I tell people, I'm like, um, I might mess up your name. I, 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 he's he's Brecher. Yeah. And you've said that to me before when we met. And 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 my brain and it's not disrespectful. Thank you. I, and I you're don't forgiven. mind being corrected. You're forgiven. Um, and even I'm not trying to learn French. I'm not trying to learn Italian. I'll do my best with this stuff. Same. Um, but I, I've never put myself out there like an expert where someone you don't need to come at me, bro. I'm like, don't you need to come at me, bro? It's, it's not that hectic. It, as much as I love it, it is just wine. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. You know. Um, <laughs> So you said uh, you guys moved to New York. You got an apartment. It's too cold in the apartment, but it has to be at least 56 <laughs> degrees for the wine. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we were young. <laughs> yeah, and, and it was wonderful. We had a, just the most wonderful time. We were in New York from 80 to 84. Okay. It, was, it was terrific. We loved it. We were young. We lived at 15 West 72nd Street right next to the Dakota. So we had these really rich, ritzy neighbors. Yeah. Uh, it, it was just, it was a really magical time. But then Miami blew up. Um, Literally. Just, yeah. I mean, just blew up. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, the people at the Herald called and said, we need you to come back. Like Liberty City riots and all that stuff. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Marielle Boatliff, Liberty City yep. riots. Yeah. Cop corruption. The, right. Uh, the cocaine cowboys. Yeah, cocaine. Oh so many God. so many dead people that they, they actually rented Ryder refrigerated trucks because the morgue was too full. Wow. So the publisher of the paper flew up and took us to dinner and said, look, we've talked about rebuilding the city and we've talked about who could help us do that. Would you all come come back? And when we were 21, we said if there were an honest newspaper someplace in in a in a fight for its life for all the good things, mm -hmm. for all the good things, we would drop whatever we were doing and go. And here he was calling us on it, you know. And we loved being here. We'd worked so hard to be here. Yeah. And we we thought about it and thought about it. And we said, well, you know. These are the principles that we believe in. So we left. We, we moved back to Miami in, in 1984 and bought a house in Coral Gables. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That must have been a trip. It and, was. It was. And at that house, we said, if we're going to live in Miami, 
and we're giving up New York. There's one thing that we can do that we could never do in New York. And we turned a room that was not our own bedroom right. into a room with 990 spaces for wine. Yeah, we, we hired John Miranda, uh, a carpenter, to, to transform was the maid's room. Mm-hmm. Of course, of course, we don't have me. And, oh, no, okay, no, 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 I'm no, kidding. No, no. I know. I know. I know. I was just going to give you some guff. And, and we, yeah. also, we also didn't have 990 bottles of wine. Oh, right. But right. we could dream. Well, you got to. You have to set yeah. the vision, right? Because yeah. if you, you wouldn't want to do it for 100 and then you got 200. So you, I'd rather have spaces that I need to fill. We did pretty well. We did. We really did pretty well. And, and we loved that old house. Um, we had a security system that would alert us if, if the wine room got too warm. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> that's, right. that's pretty high tech back in like the late '80s, early '90s. So. Yeah, but remember crime. Yeah, well, know? I know. I mean, yeah. Mind. So the, we had the whole house, you know. Yeah. But 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 that room was a temperature thing. But we were awakened one night at maybe two o'clock in the morning, dark. Our house was surrounded by cops with guns drawn in Coral Gables. And we sort of threw towels around us and went downstairs. And it turned out that our wine room had gotten too warm. <laughs> and the, the idiot security company had called the cops. And they, they came thick and loaded for bear. I mean, I gave that guy what for the next day. The security, I mean, he could have gotten me killed. Yeah, you know, probably yeah. not you, but, right. you know, what are you doing in that right, house? Right. Um, but it was terrifying. Are you okay, sir? <laughs> Twice you need help. Does she have you? <laughs> I'm okay, but not this Latour. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. 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 And, and then before we had a chance to fill the wine room with 990 bottles, uh, uh, we moved back to New York. It was six years, uh, and uh, we had had our first daughter, Media, mm -hmm. in 1989, and we always knew that we wanted to come back to New York, and um, the, literally the moment we found out we were pregnant with our second daughter, Zoe, um, I called the Wall Street Journal where I had worked previously and said, we're ready. And they said, great, they, come back. They, they had been contacting us over the years to say, when you're ready, let us know. And um, they made it happen in like 11 days. It was amazing. So we, we, we moved back here. All right. Well, listen, we got to take a quick break um, and we'll talk about your return to New York when we come back. All right, are you ready for another great distributor to look for when shopping for fine wines and spirits? Let me tell you about Independence Wine and Spirits, or IWS. IWS is one of the hot, up-and-coming distributors of fine wines and spirits headquartered in New York City. Like Taub Family Selections, IWS is owned by the Taub Family, who have re-entered the New York wholesale market, bringing the family back to its roots in distribution, where they held court from 1951 through 2004. IWS is proud to represent an exceptional portfolio of high-quality, terroir-centric, and historic producers from around the world, including Italy and France, where they have an exciting roster of burgeoning Vinrolins from Burgundy that are coming your way soon. They also have domestic producers such as La Coya, Cardinale, Staglin, El Molino, and many more. To learn more about IWS, 
Go to independencewine.com. Okay, we are back, and you guys are back in New York. We are. Um, which must have been cool. And uh, you had you were having your second daughter, Zoe, right? Uh, yes, we uh, we had. Uh, I went into labor with Zoe uh, the minute the movers arrived with our stuff from Miami. <laughs> <laughs> so. And- this is too much. I can't move a set. You know, so yeah. I had a baby. Um, but yeah, that, that's what happened. But while looking for that apartment on, uh, where, on the Upper West Side, we discovered an apartment that had a costume closet. The apartment had been owned by an opera singer. And this deep, deep, deep closet, we said, that's going to be our wine room. So we, we once again had a carpenter... Trick it out for wine. <laughs> and, and then our closing. So, so we found the perfect apartment. Dottie was, I, I actually found it because Dottie couldn't fly. I was she, so pregnant. She was so pregnant. And uh, so everything's moving at an incredibly fast pace. We're trying to get the closing done so that Dottie won't give birth before we have the apartment. We rush to the closing. Everything's going great. We're going to close on the apartment. And everything's moving through. And suddenly the, the, the lawyer for the other side says to Dottie, and could I see your ID, please? And I was so pregnant that I wasn't carrying a purse when I was with him. Right? I mean, nothing, oh, right. and nothing you, of and, added weight. And you do have CID because they the notary. Well, it, well. It, but we didn't know that. Nobody right. had told us. And so, <laughs> and so the bank lawyer said, started to close up his papers oh and say, well, then we can't close today. And my dear wife, who is such a calm person, I've never seen her like this before or after, has this giant stomach, and she stood up from the table, like and an everybody was just kind of like <laughs> looking at her. And John's sort of like, like and, she said, he's making her look like she grew to shack proportions. <laughs> oh, my God. And she said... The the concern was that I wasn't his wife. I know my wife's white, and we go and we go check in a hotel, and same thing. She has her; she kept her maiden name, and people and and I'll, uh, you know one of us will be there, and they'll be like, "Oh, can I help you, sir?" I'm like, "I'm my husband, man." Well, I said and this, this is two whatever year with two thousand twenty. <laughs> I said if if he were going to pretend that some woman was his wife, would he? Pick an eight and a half months pregnant black woman? I mean, give me a break. Yeah, he went to Columbia, so, okay? So she sat down and said, okay, let, let, let's continue with the closing. But, oh, my gosh. And that's how we managed to get the apartment in time for Dottie to go into labor the day the moving trucks came. Yeah. So that's why we know precisely how long we've that, lived in that apartment because it's <laughs> the birth date of our second daughter, Zoe. Yeah. Oh, yeah. my God. Yeah. You can't make this stuff up. No, you can't. Life's great. It isn't? <laughs> yeah, it's great. It's great. So you're at the Wall Street Journal. They made it happen in 11 days. What were you covering then? Like, I mean, you didn't go right into tasting. Like, so what, what initially were your assignments at the, at the Journal? My, my passion has always been race. Uh, that's, that's, what I, that's why I became a journalist. Um, I, I was a few days from turning 13 in, in 1964 when those three civil rights 
workers' bodies were found. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it just seemed to me that, that words could make a difference. Um, that if we could explain stuff, um, we could make the world a better place. And so that's why I went to the University of Missouri, world's famous school of journalism. Mm -hmm. uh, Ron Martin, who was hiring for the Miami Herald, hired me in two minutes. You know, um, That's what I wanted to do. So I, I was writing about race and small businesses and women-owned business, all, all of that. And he was a highfalutin editor. Oh, you were actually, you were actually, you were better than being a bureau chief is being an editor at the Journal, South oh, Miami Dade bureau chief. The, yeah. Oh, yeah, the time I, editor. I, I came in as uh, as a page one editor. Oh, and, wow. Um, the, the Journal in those days, when it only had those three front page stories, it, was, it wasn't just a matter of choosing that day's news and putting it on the front page. Those stories were weeks and months in the mm. works. Um, and it was rightly a very, very famous page in American journalism, as it is now. Um, uh, so there, um, the page one editor was Jim Stewart, you know, just absolutely brilliant editor, writer, author. Um, and he had brought me on as one of his editors. And then when Jim went off to write books full time a couple of years later, I became the page one editor with, with the staff which was just, especially working under Paul Steiger, the longtime managing editor, was like the dream job of journalism. And, and Paul, Paul has said that John was the most successful page one editor the Wall Street Journal has ever had. Mm. More, more Pulitzer Prizes and different ones won under his uh, time there than, than ever. Just God, awesome. I love this show. Awesome. I got Pulitzer Prize winners. I got James Beard Award winners. Um, but but wine had always been our passion. Right, I get that. You I mean, know, you, and you're like, Where, where's the wine going? <laughs> so so people people would come to us and ask us advice. Uh, yeah, by having friends over, and uh, but one thing that that was a, a constant was that the the people at the journal always talked about starting a weekend section. Mm -hmm. And big institutions, you know, they take forever to change and to do things. So um, w one day, an editor who used to work for John but had been hired to do the weekend section, uh, asked if we would volunteer in our spare time a wine column, because she and her husband had come and had good times at our house drinking wine. And we thought it would never happen. So we said, sure, Joanne, we'll be happy to write a wine column. And then it happened. So we thought, well, how much time could this take? You know, maybe we'll review six bottles. And we, we quickly found out that wasn't enough. And then maybe four months into it, Martha Stewart discovered us. And that was a real game changer when you're on TV. It's, a, it's an amazing thing. Mm -hmm. You know, we didn't, we didn't appreciate what it was like to, for people to see you on TV. I mean, especially back then. I mean, now we have social media and, you know, um, uh, but to get on TV because they're gatekeepers, like, Everybody's going to see you, you know, like it, it's a huge thing uh, back then. I mean, I, I'd love to get on TV now, but still, it's not the same. Like back then, like there were so many, like I can start my own podcast. You can start a YouTube channel. There's people who have TikTok and I don't understand 120 million, like, <laughs> but, 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 they, they, but there, there was like NBC, CBS and ABC, mm -hmm. you know, and, you know, and you had the other channels, but it was three, it was three major networks. And to get on one of them, you were you were gonna you were gonna be a hit. 
Yeah. Well, you were gonna get you were gonna you were gonna get noticed. Well, we we got permission from the journal to be on Martha's show because that that was a demographic that yeah well, that, 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 that those people great. buy wine. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And um and but she she really got it. She was so smart, such a smart woman. She really is. Yeah, and but but when you're on TV, people people think that they know you, you know. So we would. We would travel, and people would walk up to us, and and without any doubt in their minds, John and Dottie, right? Yeah. And ask yeah. us about wine. Very sweet thing. Yeah. And, and the other thing about Martha Stewart, especially because we 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 were on all sorts of shows. We were on CBS Sunday Morning several times. We were on the Today Show several times. We were on several things. But the thing about Martha's show, aside from the fact that I don't know, Martha's just so smart and really knows how to talk to her audience in a very very special way. Uh, aside from that, um, we didn't know this at the time, but at some point, at least back then, her show was showing somewhere in the world all the time. The repeats showed somewhere in the world all the time. People saw them forever and ever and ever, and everyone saw them. The most amazing thing about Martha's show to us was the number of guys we'd run into who would say, Dottie and John, I saw you on Martha Stewart's show, and then say, I was at the gym working out and hap happened to be on the TV. <laughs> but, but everybody watched Martha's show, and so that made a huge difference to us. And then before you knew it, this little column that we thought we'd do while we were doing our regular jobs, I mean, I was page one editor, Dottie was writing about race, and we got this little wine column on the side. And two little girls who were kicking our butts, you know? <laughs> yeah. And they just loved to see us all night tasting and talking about wine. They, they you know, <sighs> good thing they didn't have corkscrews, because they would have <laughs> gone after us. <laughs> and, uh, and so um, after doing both jobs for two years, uh, uh, and remember, we'd never, ever written anything about wine. It was a private passion. And suddenly yeah. it's like we were, we were public. Uh, we, we'd done both jobs for two years. We were so tired. And we want, went into the managing editor, Paul Steiger, and we said, we're doing both jobs. We, we're walking in walls. We can't do them both. We can't do our regular jobs and the wine job anymore. And he said, well, which would you rather do? Mm. And it took us a nanosecond to say one. Yeah, come on, come on. If you could, if you could write, if you're a writer and you and you and you enjoy wine, yeah. <laughs> and you were already writing about it, and you got a choice, let me think. Uh, I'll go with the juice. Well, but but race. Yeah. It it was it it was very hard, and it remains hard for me. Yeah. To have walked away from that, and and not to be writing about it as much as I'd like to, you know. Yeah. I mean that, that's that's our nation's unfinished business, yeah. you know. Um, but we did it, and I like to think that our doing it um, ha has helped a little bit on that front. But yeah, we, yeah. Well, we, talk about that because we, we, this is called the Black Wine Guy Experience, and like, what was it like to be the Black Wine Woman Experience in, in an industry where most people look like your husband? Well, um, I was a curiosity, I'm sure, you know. Um, but people. It wasn't that I was diverse, that I was black. It was the way we were writing about wine that the gatekeepers did not approve of. Okay. Say um, more about that. Well, 
it, it, John often says that it's it's like they showed us the secret handshake and they were regretting it because we were showing it to the world. <laughs> you know? Yeah. We we were writing about wine as as consumers and um and at at the time and probably now a lot of people who are writing about wine are white men and they're crazy about the minutia of it. You know, more and more I think partly because of us we've broadened the definition of of, of, of wine journalism, but um, but it was it was as though these white guys were writing about wine for for their six friends and their moms, you know, and they poo pooed our column as a populist column, which I took to mean that real people read us, <laughs> <laughs> you know, that the readers of the Wall Street Journal were very accomplished, smart, wealthy people, yeah, but no one likes to be. To, to feel stupid or, or taken advantage of. And, or to be talked down to. Or to be talked down to. And, and a lot of wine writing was condescending then. And, and you don't condescend to people. You just don't. I don't care what you're writing about. And, and we never did. And so we had, we had readers from all walks of life. And, um, and, and you know, we, we heard from black people, from... from um, People in Asia, people all over the all over the world, and and I'm really proud of that. Um, they they reached out to us. A, a a big time executive at the New York Times wrote and asked us a question about wine, and we always thought, why didn't he ask the people who worked there? And I will not tell you his name. <laughs> I don't. I don't think. Eric had taken over the, the wine. This yet. was before. It was, it was a guy before Eric. This was before yeah, Eric. Yeah, because Eric was on, and he Eric, talked about Eric, how he Eric. got the job. But that, that other guy was didn't want to let go of that job. <clears throat> well, and, I, that, and Eric, it's funny because Eric did the same thing with food. Eric started talking about food like regular people. He would go out to the outer boroughs. Right. Eric is great. Eric's, Eric is great. And, and, and Frank Pryle was, was our inspiration for how to write about wine, mm -hmm. how to think about it. You know, he, he, he had this... Piece that said that the his his best wine experience was sitting on the deck of of a of a navy cruiser drinking some simple white Italian wine with his with his navy friends, you know. I don't even think he identified what the wine was, but there's a time and a place for just about any kind of wine that that's thoughtfully made, you know. And, yeah. and that's what we tried to do is is we tried to put wine within the context of life. Uh, we try to write each column as a story of discovery, not, okay, we already know the end of this story. Now let's go to the beginning and tell you everything that you need to know that leads up to that. Our point was, okay, look, how is Merlot under $20 these days? Hmm, we don't know. Let's go out and buy 50 randomly at stores across the U.S., put them in bags and see how they are. Let's yeah. – uh, how – is service at a, at restaurants these days? Let's go to ten restaurants anonymously because incredibly people at restaurants never never noticed us. And uh, our and, picture and ran with the column or right. a line drawing, right? A, you know. Um, but yeah. it, the idea was that we told stories in every column that basically put wine within the context of a good life. That's right. what oh, wine is that. all about. It's not 
this thing that's separate and apart. It's it's not this thing to be um, endlessly debated and deconstructed unless you enjoy doing that. And the truth is, is that when the two of us are alone, we do endlessly debate and we deconstruct keep, we because keep. we enjoy doing that, the two of us together. Mm. And we've been doing it together for almost 50 years. But yeah. you can enjoy wine in any way you want to, um, but it's your choice how you want to, how you want to enjoy it. Yeah, I agree. I, I tell people first of all, don't you don't have to like what I like. Yeah, you don't have to like what Robert Parker likes. You know, we don't have to argue. Okay, enjoy what you enjoy, and then like you said, there's times when I do geek out. But I, one of the things I do, I don't like to talk about what's in the tech sheets. You can read the tech sheets. Yeah, I I, I try and bring like I want. I'm getting your story here. We're not analyzing this delicious wine you brought, and I'm learning so much about you, and the, the listeners are going to learn so much more about you that they didn't know, and that's because it, this is a conduit for conversations for me and people. And then there are times when when I'm going to have my nose in a glass all night, and I'm like, I'm trying, I'm like, what is that? What is that? You know, yeah. we, you know that scene yeah. in uh, Sideways, and just just a, a flutter of, <laughs> you know, where you want, and but you don't you you don't want to make people feel intimidated. I think there's a lot of people go and flex on people, you know, like. You don't have to do that, man. No, and and that just the the wine industry is its worst enemy. It really is. That's a self inflicted wound, and it just keeps doing it over and over and over again. Too many wineries and too many wine regions do not appear welcoming to a lot of people, and so as a result, those people don't have a chance to fall in love. Our own our own story along those lines is that um, we had those life-changing bottles of cheap French white and red when we were very young. We increasingly got into wine and in 1976, before the judgment of Paris, we thought, whoa, we got to go to Napa. So we went to Napa. That was the days so small and the actual winemakers themselves were behind the counter pouring their own wines. And, and, and like they didn't have taste room. They would pour them for free. Like, exactly. You just go visit them. They're oh, farmers. Right. They, exactly. they, didn't, they didn't charge exactly. anything. They're like, you want to try my wine? And that, yes. is, that is the exact moment when we went from, wow, this is really good stuff. We really like this, to truly being passionate. When we looked in the eyes of those people right. and we realized that every good glass of wine reflects someone's passion. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's their art. Bernard Skoda lit up when I when I tasted his muscat. You know, he could see. He could, you know, we could. It, I learned seven sentences in Italian the first time we went to Italy. Can can I can we taste your wine and perhaps buy a bottle? Uh, where's the bathroom? Can, can you can you take two for dinner at eight? You know, just essentials. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but 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 we can communicate. About wine, just just by joy, yeah, you know, yeah. and and I don't know, it's just a wonderful thing to be in love with. Well, talking about love, two thousand and three, love by the glass, yeah. their book. Yeah. Um, tell us about where this they came from and what was like writing a book together. So you've done a column, but like, what's like writing? Well, a book it was together? hell. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> well, yeah, you know, how do you do it? Yeah. How can two people write a memoir? You know, that tricked up a lot of people. 
um, I, I would write a little bit, and then I'd leave it, and John would write a little bit. Um, at, at one point, he 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 asked, uh, "Why didn't we get married until five years later?" And, and I wrote, "Because you were a jerk." That that was what because he said. Men. That's what he said. Because <laughs> men. That's what he sat down to the next time he picked up the book, <laughs> and we left it. <laughs> we left it in the book. <laughs> because you were a jerk. <laughs> the the idea of the book is is to to tell our story because we consider ourselves storytellers through one critical wine that we had during that time. Um, but there was a uh, you know there's the you know we we've mentioned uh, the cold duck. Yeah. You know there's just every important moment in our life. Um, has some sort of wine component. Um, there was a, this horrible time when our kids were very young, where Dottie was diagnosed with terminal cancer. And it turned out... Pancreatic. They, wow. gave, they gave me two and a half to three months to live. It was bad. Um, and, it, you know, we had the best doctors. We were at Sloan Kettering. But it turned out that... that it it was a false diagnosis. Luckily, they shit the bed on that one. Yeah, it oh, was it was gosh. awful. That's, I can't even and imagine someone tell you have tuna. What the hell you got? It was. I know our, our kids were our kids two were were two and three, and John's dad calls me one night and he says, um, uh, "I I decided to convert to Judaism when I was fifteen years before I met him," uh, and uh, John's dad said, I, "You came into the world um, Christian." Uh, my son and my granddaughters need you. So I prayed to my God and to Jesus to take me instead. Mm. And uh, he and I cried. I, I was so loved by his folks and, and you by my mom. Um, and um, it, it, it was a really hard thing. You know, I'm going to be gone. He's going to be left with, with two two kids, yeah. you know? But so you you sort of prepare yourself, and I just, I thought about you know why am I here? What's my purpose? Maybe mm. my purpose was was to have these kids, right. and you know, and maybe there's another woman out there who'd be a better wife and friend to him. I and found a better several. Mother. <laughs> <laughs> Give me the damn Dude, corkscrew. He's know, asking you know for. You gotta go home with her, right? <laughs> We, or maybe you're we, not going we, home with it. We, we do this all the time. I know, I love it. But. So, so we so we go to we go to Sloan Kettering, and the doctor says, "I have great news. You're not dying of pancreatic cancer." And so we said, "My God, how do you know?" And he said, with a big smile on his face, "Because if you were, you'd be dead." And so yeah. we left there, mm. and we went yeah. to a restaurant that still exists on the east side. It yeah. was. It was like two in the afternoon, so it was fairly late, and we walked in, and we said, do you have a big red wine? Because we thought we would celebrate. And it was a French place. A woman comes over with a, this giant goblet filled, and she says, he's big enough? <laughs> 
was like, I was, I was, it was either the glass or she brought you like a Jeroboam or a right? I like, know. I was like, yeah, you're and, not take that. <laughs> Too and strong. So yeah, oh that's the sort of thing that would be a chapter, you know, a, a chapter heading in the book, a Big Red Wine, because, you know, it, that's how we remember stories. That's how we tell stories. Everyone has something to do with a wine, even stories that, uh, you know, are not great stories like this. Yeah, but two months later, I, I was okay, and John's dad was dead. Oh, and I know well, that's... I know God doesn't work that way. At least I don't think God works that way. Um, but at, at, uh, And I never told John that about that phone call. I was just in tears, and mm. I said, yeah, that, that was your dad, and, and we said some stuff. Uh, but at, when John eulogized his dad, um, he said, you all know my, my dad... Uh, was a car salesman, and I can just imagine him making the sale of his life. Mm. Um, mm. You know, you, you all probably wonder how my dad and mom received Dottie. Well, let me tell you, you know, if there were a way, my dad would have exchanged his life for hers. And I looked at him because I hadn't told him that his dad had offered to do that. Um, but yeah. So there's stories like that. I mean, that's, that's extraordinary. And, and there's also stuff about Open That Bottle Night. Yeah, because so everybody... you read my notes. Let's talk about Open That Bottle Night. <laughs> we're, we're right there. Well, How did Open That Bottle Night come into play? When the... we started our column in um, 1998, um, the right. question that we were asked most often over and over and over again, and it turned out to be true about every wine writer, is some is people write in and they say I have this one bottle of wine. Mm -hmm. It was given to me by my late father. It was given to me at my graduation. It's from our wedding. Um, when is the perfect time to open it? Parentheses and how much is it worth? Always that second part. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and we were asked this so often and. Every time we'd write back, we'd say, you know something, just open it this weekend. Just open it for heaven's sake. And then at some point, we got this so many times that we thought, you know, everybody needs a little help because everybody has that bottle. Whether you have a single bottle in the cellar or a thousand bottles in the cellar, is that one that reminds you of your trip to Napa or your wedding and that you cannot stand to open. So we said, all right, tell you what, on this night, let's all of us together, as one, open the bottle and celebrate the bottle. And uh, we we thought, you know, that's one more column done. <laughs> um, but also, we thought we'd get a few letters, just just a few, and they started to trickle in, and um, they were so heartfelt. And, and this was when people actually wrote. Yeah, letters, you know, and put yeah, stamps on them. Know. <laughs> you know, the art of writing. And 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 writing, not printing. Right. What what cursive what, what's called cursive. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And and really really sweet letters. What one couple said that they'd open something and romance ensued. <laughs> um, and as these letters would come in, John John would put them on the editor's desk. And I, you remember the movie uh, Miracle on 34th Street yeah. where the mailmen come in mm -hmm. to prove that Santa is Santa Claus? Well, the mailroom would come in with bags of letters. We got over a thousand letters in response to that column. And um, one was from John Watson who said, if only you had 
come up with this idea a year earlier, the love of my life would be here in person instead of in spirit to have enjoyed this wine with me. John Watson from IBM? No, oh, this okay. is John Watson who, oh, what did John do? Remember, he was from Pennsylvania. He was from Pennsylvania. Okay. And um, Mary. His wife, Mary. No, his, his, his second. Right. So we, we, we kept up with, with, with John Watson. Yeah. I mean, you know, we, we, we led the follow-up column with that, with that quote because mm. people were, I mean, they were sharing some really sweet and heavy and sometimes tragic stuff with us. And um, we heard from John Watson maybe a couple years later on, on a, a wine cruise in France. He had met Mary. And they'd gone halvesies on a column, no, on, on, on a on a case of wine. She lived in the in the in the northeast, so she took half the case with her, and he kept half. And they kept this conversation going. And then John would spend time with Mary in the Pacific North Northwest, and and then they got married. And all this was unfolding on open that bottle nights, and his. Their, their kids sent us a picture of their wedding, you know, and he, he said, this is, this is a testament that, that, that you, you can have a second love mm. and, and how wine can do that. All of this happened because of wine. And uh, John died about ooh, maybe six years ago, and um, the obituary that ran included him saying that he was so happy to be part of our column because it did make the point that you're never too old to find love again. So this and year, Open That Bottle Night is celebrated the last Saturday of every February. Uh, it seemed like a good time to do it because we all need it. We've been doing it now for, I guess, about 22 years. Uh, First doing... one was, was uh, 1999. And, oh, uh, yeah. yeah, Y2K. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. I remember, I, I remember yeah. I'm like, I'm going to die. I'm going to leave me in California. Um, Remember yep. that shit? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. All the planes <laughs> were going to... Yeah. Computers are going to go and the systems are going to crash. Right. Yeah. Um, and yeah. Uh, so February 26th, the idea is we all have that bottle. Some of us have more, have more than one. And just don't keep it anymore. There are memories inside that bottle. Open the bottle. Talk about the bottle. Talk about where the bottle came from. Enjoy the memories. Let the memories out because nobody's guaranteed tomorrow. We've all learned that, especially over the past couple of years. Yeah. And the fact is, is that while people say to us that because they've been kind of stuck inside for the past few years, oh, my gosh, all of my bottles are open. I don't have any open up bottle night bottles. But you know what? You do. <laughs> Everybody well, does. Well, but but even, even even if they don't, there's some wine that they've been thinking about trying. Maybe now's yeah, now, go, now's a good time to do it. Go buy that bottle. Right. To open on open go that bottle. Buy, yeah, know? yeah. It's it's not it's not the wine. It's yeah. it's the community. You yeah. know, um, it's it's the sharing. Yeah, I think I think um, did it experience a resurgence of the pandemic? I, it's always been there, but I think I, that's when I kind of picked up on it. You know, um, we have told people don't wait for the official date. Right. Do it all the time. I pretty much do. I have people, I'm like, people are like, Tuesday night wine. I'm like, I'm hey, like listen, yeah. if I just want to drink this tonight. Because yeah. I might not be, like I said, I might not be here tomorrow. No one is promised tomorrow. Right. So, so we always said from the beginning, yep. Monday night it's, wine, what are you talking it's, about? It's, a, it's officially <laughs> the, the last Saturday right. in, in February, but do it 
as often as you can. And, you know, in the before times, (laughs) people would have wonderful parties. Nonprofits would use it to to raise money for for abused children's services. Mm-hmm. Restaurants would use it. Um, it it's just it it grew to be something really lovely that people all over the world are looking forward to. We we heard from people who who hiked uh, to mountaintops with a special bottle. One guy was coming out of his castle's basement and, and dropped it. And oh. he, he said he said he sat on the stone steps and took out his handkerchief and soaked up as much as he could in Scotland. You know? I mean, people, they're into it. People, people love romance. Yeah. You know? And what's a more romantic beverage? You know? Uh-huh. You know, it's just, um, it just it's, it's wonderful. And it's an excuse it's, it's, you know, we, we, we celebrate Beaujolais Nouveau Day, you know? It's an excuse for a party. Right, okay. Right. We know it's not great wine. Right. Who cares? Right. It's an excuse for a party. Yeah. With wine. You know? I'm not mad at you. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we heard from a, a, a Cuban com- couple in Miami that, that got in their hot tub with their special bottle with Mr. Barry White in the back. Mr. Barry White. Yeah, Mr. Barry White. And we know romance ensued hey, when hey, Barry White. If you got some wine and Barry White, <laughs> it's, it's done. Yeah. It's a wrap. <laughs> P- people shared stuff like that. That's yeah. amazing because I think, I mean, we live now, and you guys, um, we live in this world where it's very fast, it's high tech, low touch. Um, I'm blo- like it's easy to just hit like and just scroll through, but to take the time and to write you a letter, like what's it like? What's it like to really? Like, it was like to be a real influencer. Like you have documented proof. Like people take their time to write a letter, like risk getting a paper cut on their tongue and put a stamp on it and mail it to you. Well, they they felt that they knew us. Mm. You know, that, that we were the people next door who knew a little bit about wine, who they could talk to. Mm. And, and we, we put it all out there for them, you know? Our kids were regular parts of our, our column. To their horror. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know your, your one daughter, Zoe, does she sing about you guys? Uh, does, she have, does she ever sing about you in her songs? Like... She says that she knows about love because she sees it. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Zoe's a, a badass professional drummer. Yeah. But um, her passion project is a, is a it's called Hush Puppy, and she sings and writes and was recording with us. Um, we, we made the rec room a studio for her. Uh, she, she recorded an album. And, um, you know, during lockdown, Live performances just went away. Oh, that was the worst. I mean, love, me and why we love live music. Yeah, we and do like too. it was just like, oh. yeah. Um, and I don't know, like, have I been to a show since? I don't know. Like, yeah, it's crazy. And literally, we went to a show. Um, it was on Valentine's Day. Wow. <laughs> went to see Raphael Sadiq at the New Jersey Pack, <clears throat> um, and and it was on Valentine's Day, and that was right before 
everything started going crazy February 14th of 2020. That was, you know, mm-hmm. like you knew it was there, but like there was no restrictions. I mean, it was pure in the future. We were, we were like, there's 5,000 people in a the theater just wow. on top of each other in February of 2020. You were lucky. Yeah. Um, I was lucky because I saw some good live music. Yeah. Our pandemic story, I think pretty much everybody has a pandemic, like the curtain coming down kind of story Mm -hmm. with pandemic. Ours is that we went to Napa for our our papers going into the University of California at Davis. There was Mm -hmm. a really wonderful event uh, at Copia in Napa uh, and uh, to celebrate our papers going into the University of California at Davis. uh, And it was it was just a spectacular event. We flew out there, and we were first going to go to Davis to visit the people at Davis. And we'd heard this vague thing about this this thing that was out there, and we we had this horrible trip in from the San Francisco airport to Davis. The trip just there, there were accidents. It was terrible. We finally got there. It was like, oh my gosh, such a relief. We're finally here. We checked into our into our hotel in Davis. Phone rang. It was our daughter saying, "Did you see the news? They've identified the first COVID case in the United States. It's at the University of California Davis Hospital." So, and it was like, "Oh, oh my God!" I mean, it was like we just we just actually just flown right into it. So we had our wonderful event. We spent a few extra days in Napa. It was just the most wonderful thing, and people kept talking about it. And by the time we left, just a few days later, flights were being canceled. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it happened that quickly. We got back here, and our our daughter Media's birthday is March 12th. We planned to celebrate with her. But on March 12th, we fled the city and essentially haven't really come back full time. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but that... that uh that celebrating of our papers in Napa happened on Open That Bottle Night. It was leap year. <laughs> That's right. It was leap year. Yeah, um, yeah. I know it very well. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we're, we're coming up to our end of our time here. What are you uh, opening for Open That Bottle Night 2022? Oh, jeez. We haven't decided. Neither have I. You know? Yeah. It's, and we're, we're, we're so guilty. We have so many bottles that that are great candidates we look at them every year and we think, no, can't do that you know that that's signed by the winemaker who's been dead for 20 years you know and it's hard it really is hard the ones from the wineries that have gone out of business uh, or the winemakers who are no longer with us mm-hmm. those are really the hardest those are exactly the ones that we tell people you've got to open but the ones that are hardest to open. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but those are the ones that really need to be open because those winemakers and those wineries, they deserve to have you clink a glass with them. So you got me now. I think I'm going to open something by Philippe Camby because I love her own stuff. So I got to find what I got from Ooh. Philippe and his hand on. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So one last question for you two. What are you most excited about in wine moving forward? What do you see in the future? What excites you about the future of wine? Oh, for me, it's it's the many... Diverse voices. Finally, <laughs> <laughs> hallelujah! <laughs> you 
you know, for, for years we we didn't go to, uh, to to industry events. We only went to things that the public could, could go to. Mm-hmm. That we were the public's yeah. stand-in, and yeah. if they couldn't, you know, we didn't. Uh, so we didn't. I didn't. We didn't go to walk around tastings until after we left the journal. I think, yeah. Except yeah. for the wine, wine spectators, because yeah. you could buy a ticket to that. Yeah. Uh, and I, and forever, I was the only black person there. And it's just, it's wonderful to see the BIPOC community, uh, LGBTQ plus, you know, it's just, it's great to, to hear the voices and to see the representation. Yeah. So yeah. I, I'm, I, I can't wait to hear more and to see more of that. No, and I feel the same way. It's like if, if, if you have a, a good Instagram, Twitter feed, you're following people, the number of diverse new voices out there of all kinds, it's just great because people are saying different things. Mm-hmm. They're approaching wine in a different way. They're looking at different winemakers. They're looking at different grapes. They're looking at different regions. They're looking at different people. And it just makes it um, so much more fun to hear the same story told from different points of view. Awesome. Oh, Dottie and John, thank you so much for uh, coming on, spending this time with me, and really an uh, honor to have you here. Uh, please tell people where they can find you and how they can be a part of what you're doing. Uh, we uh, are on – We're. On, <laughs> I get confused. We're, we're either Dottie and John or Wine Couple on Instagram. I follow Facebook. Dottie and John. Most people don't follow Wine Couple, I think, but I don't know. But Dottie and John. Plus, there you go, Dottie and John or at Wine Couple. And uh, Dottie and John or Wine Couple on Facegram, face, on f- Facebook, Instagram, um, it is and Facebook. Twitter. They own it. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's like. It's Metagram, whatever. Yeah, and, it, and it is it is really, we, we, would, we love hearing from people. We really do. We do. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, everybody, um, definitely pick up a copy of Love by the Glass. I think there's, I got mine off of Amazon. You probably can find it on Amazon. But if there's a local bookstore, well, are there local bookstores? Um, but but uh, yeah, it's a great book, um, Vignettes About Wine, Life, and Love. Uh, until the next time, everybody, this is your boy MJ. Cheers to the Mavericks, philosophers, deep thinkers, and wine drinkers. My guest today qualify for all those. We'll talk to you guys later. Peace. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you learned something and you had some fun while you were here. Please subscribe to the podcast and give us a five-star review on whatever platform you're listening to. And if you want to be an insider and get special content, make sure you go over to blackwineguy.com and get on our email list. 